This morning our scripture reading is from Romans chapter 7, verse 14 through the end of the chapter, chapter 25, verse 25. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that whenever, um, that when I want to do Right, evil lies close at hand, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see that in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. So good to see you this morning. Let me welcome you here to Grace uh, for this time of worship. Let me mention a couple of things before I jump into the sermon. First of all, uh, this is the second sermon in the series, Closer Than Close, uh, based uh, in in running alongside the book by Dave Hickman. Uh, Dave was uh, on our volunteer staff here a few years ago. Many of you know him. Nat Press just published this book. All the books we had got gone last week. We ordered more. They're here. So if you want some, just see somebody at the Next Steps desk as you leave, and they'll take care of you uh, with one of those books. Also, uh, I want to welcome Milton Hollifield. We're so glad you're here this morning. Uh, Milton uh, heads up the Baptist State Convention, so uh, has a hefty task of leading all the Southern Baptist churches here in the state of North Carolina. And uh, appreciate you and uh, Gloria being with us today. We are going to uh, continue in this uh, sermon series called Closer Than Close, sermon number two. And we come to one of the most controversial passages of Scripture in all of the Bible. Much has been written about it, and we'll delve into what makes it so very controversial uh, this morning as we seek to understand it and understand its importance in our lives. You see, if uh, Higman's book is about uh, our union with Christ, and our union with Christ is, uh, is tough to write about. It is a subject that can be easily heretical. And so why do we need to know, why do you and I need to know this area that uh, theologically can be uh, swimming in the deep end of the pool? Why do we need to know about our union with Christ? Well, this morning, I hope by the end of our time together, you will realize the necessity why we need to know uh, about our union with Christ and we'll take away uh, some tactics to help you in this battle. It was in 1861 that a few states decided to succeed from the, uh, secede from the Union. And when they did, there, this back and forth developed between the North and the South. And it ultimately ended up in the Civil War. 
The Civil War is the most costly war ever to be fought uh, on American soil or by Americans on any soil anywhere. It was the bloodiest war ever fought by us. More than 500,000 men died in the Civil War. Let me give you a comparison of other wars. Uh, In the Revolutionary War, 4,400 died. In the War of 1812, 2,200. In the Mexican War, 1,700 The Civil War engaged more than 3 million soldiers as we fought each other in this country. Even when you compare the deaths in World War II, which had 16 million plus soldiers, and in World War II, uh, 400,000 died. This 3 million soldiers in the Civil War, a half million of them died. It was a deadly war. It was a costly war. The gross national product is the total market value of the goods and services produced by any nation over a specific period of time. You can measure the cost of wars by how much of the gross national product they cost a nation. That's one of the best ways to measure. Let me give you some ideas. The Revolutionary War for our young country, 10% of our gross national product. The War of 1812, 14%. The Mexican War, 4%. The Civil War, 199% of our gross national product, the Civil War cost. Uh, Our country was decimated. A half a million of our men were gone. It was a dark time and a costly time. Civil war is always costly and it's always confusing. And the bad news is that you and I are engaged in that ourselves. If you know Christ, you are in a civil war. That's what Paul talks about here. And that brings us to the controversy of this passage. The controversy of this passage swirls around this question. Did Paul write this? referring to his life before Christ, or did he write this referring to his life after Christ? Now, I'm going to say that I believe, based on study, and uh, that, that Paul wrote this referring to his life after Christ, and I'm going to give you three reasons. Now, I teach at Montreal. Some of my students are sitting over here. And some days, uh, you, you can come in and kind of slouch, and you'll be fine. And other days, I say to my students, if you're going to get it today, you better set up straight. This is one of those days in church, all right? If you're going to get this, you better have pen in hand. You better set up straight. We're diving into some deep water today. Paul, I think, is talking about his life after Christ for these reasons. Number one, it's the most natural reading of the text. There is no place in this text where Paul seems to switch gears. He's going from Romans 6 right into talking about uh, the, the law and grace right into Romans 7. I think he jumps right into his personal journal and just opens up and says, this is my life. Second, there's a statement that seems pretty powerful in here. Verse 22, Paul says, for I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. 
All right, listen to me. Before you knew Christ, you never joyfully concurred with the law of God in the inner man. Lost people do not joyfully concur with the law of God. You fight against it. We'll see that spelled out. Finally, we experience what Paul is talking about here. Uh, Paul's experience here you'll find to be rather common to yourself. Some of you walked in here tired and beaten down this morning. Civil war, you know what you should do. You need to end that relationship. You need to quit that habit. You want to be free from that sensual desire. You need to spend time daily with God. Yet it seems the more you fight the tendency to do the wrong thing, the more often you end up doing the wrong thing. You feel trapped, confused. Sometimes you don't even feel like a believer. You feel that God has forsaken you, abandoned you, that you are left to fight this battle all alone. If that is you, welcome to Grace Community Church. We are so glad you're here. And and if it is so, then you are in the right place. God has not abandoned you. And he has a word for you today. We're at war, and this morning I want to give you three tactics for engaging in this civil war. Number one, realize the enemy within. Realize the enemy within. Paul says, I am of flesh. Flesh is the earthly part of us, our sinful nature, our lusts, our desires. Galatians 5 says the flesh is contrary to the spirit. Romans 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Galatians 5, 19 through 23, contrasts the fruits of the spirit or the fruit of the spirit with the deeds of the flesh. Check out these on the screen. The deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envy and drunkenness, carousing and things like these of which I forewarn you just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. The flesh is the dangerous enemy from within. And for some of you, this is your starting point this morning. With Paul, you need to say, I am a flesh. I have lusts. I have desires. I want to do things that are ungodly. I want to sin. You say, wow. Now, if you were listening to the podcast and you stopped right here, you could put heretic at the bottom. And you'd be right. The preacher says, admit you want to sin. Uh, But Paul goes on. In Victor Hugo's novel, 93, talking about the French Revolutionary War, he records an event, and it's an interesting event, because uh, there's some soldiers out at sea, and there is a major storm. So they do what they do, which is to begin to offload the cargo. And as they're going to get the cargo, they discover that there is a loose cannon underneath the ship. And one of the soldiers says to the other, I'm afraid that the storm within is more dangerous than the storm without. And this is what Paul is saying. What is he, how does he describe it? He says, we are sold 
under sin. Now, Paul's audience can understand this. Probably half of Rome was slaves. He says, I'm sold under sin. What does he mean? Here's what he means. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have kids? Raise your hand. All right, you have children. Um, How many of you took your kids to the how to lie class? Nobody. I never, ever had to take any of my kids to that class. Uh, Somehow they just learned how to do that. Right? They just learned how to do that. Uh, how many of you said, uh, you know, there's going to be a seminar and uh, we're, we're taking the family, we're going to take the kids down, how to effectively slap your brother? No, but your kids are born with the desire to slap their brother. Or how about this seminar? That's mine. Right? And how many of you signed up for Greed 101? Self-centeredness 101. Nobody took your kids to that, but your kids are experts, aren't they? Like they're experts at this. Why? They are born as sinful creatures. We all are. We're born with a sin nature and we're sold under it. You want to thank somebody for that? I think you'll forget it in heaven, but his name is Adam. And her name is Eve. And Adam is the head of all creation. When he blew it, we were entered into that dynamic. And ever since then, every child who has been born, including every person in this room, is sold under sin. If somebody doesn't buy you back, you're done. That's what Paul says. How difficult is that? For what I am doing, he says, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I'm doing the very thing I hate. Please hear me. If it was okay for Paul to say, I don't understand, it's fine for you and me to say that too. Paul, trained under Gamaliel the leading scholar of his day, Paul, who wrote more of the New Testament than did anyone else, said, I do not understand. We struggle with that today. Google should solve this problem for us, shouldn't it? Right? We should Google the problem of the flesh and Google give us an answer and we fix it. But Paul is saying, I do not understand. And then there's a verse that honestly, guys, for years I thought was a straight cop out. Like I thought, what are you saying, Paul? Look at it right here. So now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. No longer now am I the one doing it, Paul says, but sin which dwells in me. But if you go back and you look at the Greek, there's a little definite article in front of the word sin in the Greek. And James, without knowing it, read it that way. The sin, or maybe James probably knew it, the sin which dwells in me. What does that mean? All right, in this passage, Paul refers to the sin and to sins. The sin refers to your sin nature. These sins or or sins are what your sin nature does. What is Paul saying? He's saying there's an enemy within. 
And when he sins, he, the new Paul after Christ, is no longer the one doing it, but the sinful nature, the old Paul before Christ. For he says, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. Again, in verse 20, he says, but if I'm doing the very thing I do not want, I'm no longer the one doing it. But the sin which dwells in me, verse 21, I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. In verse 23, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Paul describes a full-blown war in which the members of his body are operating under one government and his mind operates under another. He is at war. And the reality is that we never get rid of this enemy. He is the flesh, the sinful nature. Robert McGee has written two great books, one called The Search for Significance, the other, The Search for Freedom. In his book, The Search for Freedom, he says this, and I quote, He says, a man recently walked into my office. He had a vile beginning to his life. As a child, he could accurately be described as sinful. I know this sounds harsh, like a harsh description, but my source is totally reliable. McGee is a counselor. He had developed an evil conscience, yet was unaware of this fact. His life was corrupt and deceitful, full of rebellion. His thoughts were evil and lustful. Because of his heritage, it is said he was dominated by Satan. What could I do to help this man? Try as I might, I could do nothing, for I was that man that is our reality what does the sinful nature do it produces in us all kinds of sinful desires as a matter of fact paul wells up to the very end of this passage and he says wretched man that i am that word wretched comes from two words one word meaning weight the other word meaning to pierce Paul says, this is a weight that pierces me. This desire to do right and the desire to do wrong and this war weighs me down. Please hear me. You will not win a war against an enemy you're unwilling to admit exists. You will not win a war against an enemy you're unwilling to admit exists. Realize the enemy within, number two, reinforce tactic number two, reinforce the ally within. I love this. Things turn up. Verse 18, the willing is present in me. Paul says in verse 18, verse 22, I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. Verse 23, the law of my mind, he says. Now, if there is an ally within and if there is an enemy within, that's why we have a civil war. We have the old self and the new self duking it out with one another. This is why the most miserable people on the planet aren't unbelievers who sin, but believers who do. This is why. Why? Because before you come to Christ, when you sin, 
What causes you to quit? Well, rules, your environment, certain things are acceptable certain places, your conscience that has been shaped by rules with which you've grown up or your environment, all of those things, all of those things affect your decision-making. But when you come to Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live within you. And when Christ comes to live within you and you begin to sin, we don't have objective rules. We're dealing with subjective person. There's somebody. There's somebody now who is there. Totally Totally changes the game. Look at verse 18. The willing is present right now in me. The word present literally means to lie near. That when you come to Christ, this is why the, your union with Christ is absolutely critical to your walk with the Lord. If you get this, like if you get this and this gets you, it will change your attitude. It will change your actions. You will begin to live a life consistently that honors God. Not perfectly, but consistently. You see, when we accept Jesus by faith, we have the desire to do the right thing. What is your ally, you ask? What, what is it? A renewed mind. That's your ally. Paul alludes to it in this passage, a renewed mind. Romans 12, verse 2, Paul says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So that you may prove what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So what is the problem? Here's the problem. When you come to Christ, however many years of practice you had sinning, right? However many years. For Ryan, I love Ryan's testimony because he says, you know, I have a serious problem with sin. And I'm sitting here at the age of 48 thinking it can't be that serious. All right, so we all have a serious problem with sin, but I got a serious list, right? The older we get, the more practice we get. So when you come to Christ, all the practice you've had sin in has informed your mind, all of it. And unless your mind is renewed, you will go right back to what you used to do. All right, almost without fail. Unless your mind is renewed because you carry those old patterns into your new life. 1 Corinthians two fourteen through 16. The man without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God. They're foolishness to him and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord that may, he may instruct them? But some of you need to jot this down. And we have the mind of Christ. What? Yes. When you come to God by faith in Christ, the Spirit comes to live within you and gives you the very capacity to think like Jesus in all of the circumstances of your life. You're able to think like Christ. All right, I love theology. 
but it's got to be practical. So let me give you a prayer and a practice. I know you won't be able to jot this down. I'll throw it in the blog this week. Let's do this. I'll do that. But listen, this is from Robert McGee's work, Search for Freedom. He suggests this prayer, dear Lord, I've been believing the wrong thought and name it. Some of you know what I'm talking about right now. Folks came up to me after the early service and said, Oh, I must begin to pray this prayer. I've been believing the wrong thought. I hate thinking this thought. This thought is not a healthy one for me. It is against what you want me to think. I want to bring my thoughts in obedience to yours. I also want to think about things that are worthy of praise. Thank you for forgiving me for accepting this thought that has affected my life so negatively. I now, by my own free will, choose to replace the wrong thought of, name that thought, With what you want me to think. The next time I think that wrong thought. Help me to tell you and change it. Thank you for the truth. That sets me free. This prayer. Some of you need to jot down somewhere. Put it on your mirror. Every morning. Because as soon as you get up. The thoughts start don't they. And they dishonor God. So that's a prayer. What's the practice? Memorize scripture. Memorize scripture. You say, Jerry, why? Because here's what happens. Often in counseling, when I'm working with people who are battling sin of different kinds, and when they begin to head over to the side of victory, right there, they're walking into a new way of life. Here's what characterizes it. The word. The word. What do they do? They begin to hunger for the word like they've never hungered before. And they find scripture and scripture finds them. And it's sweet to them. It's like food for the soul. So here's how the Holy, I've said this before, but here's how the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit, he, he, you're in a situation. And so this is his opportunity to give you victory. So he goes down into the depths of your heart. And when he does, he's going to dive down, scoop up with his bucket, God's word, which is hidden in your heart. Only when he does, he grabs a country song. And he's like, that definitely won't help. All right, so, so he goes back down again to find the word of God, right? Let me, let me get some word. I've got, I've got a word for this moment. I've got a word for this situation. So the Holy Spirit goes down. He's going to dig deep. He's going to find the word only to quote your favorite TV show. Word for word. Why? Because you binged watched it for 36 hours. Every episode. Back to back to back to back to back. And the Holy Spirit's like, ah, I've got to have something to work with here. Right? I've got to have something to work with. So last resort, 106.9. I'm just kidding. Not last resort, Carol. But he goes and how many people, all right, how many people for real, one sitting right back here in this room, who just three weeks ago when God began to deal with him, Driving down the road, God said, you need to turn to 106.9. He said, I'm not going to. God said, you do. And he drove right past one of your signs. I was like, okay, God, get that. Turned it on. And within a week, he gave his off to Christ. God so wants the word in you. 
Colossians, let the word of Christ dwell richly within you. Why? So that when temptations come, he goes and grabs his word and he applies it like a surgeon. Hebrews 4. Sharper than a two-edged sword, pierces to the division of soul and spirit, of joint and marrow. Multiple metaphors there. Uh, And able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. So, a prayer and a practice. Reinforce the ally within. Finally, rely on the victor within and without. The picture looks pretty bleak. Paul refers to the body of this death. It's an interesting picture. It's an exact phrase from, and I've shared this before, but from Roman, uh, from Roman war. What they would do is when they took a POW, they would uh, take that POW and in order to interrogate him, they would find one of his fallen comrades. All right. This is gross and grotesque, but true and necessary for you to understand. And they would find a fallen comrade. One of the ancient poets has written about it. It says toe-to-toe, knee-to-knee. And they would take him and tie this dead corpse to the POW to where that he, his knees and his toes and his nose. And he was looking right in the eye of a dead man he knew. And that POW would die one of two ways. He would die either by the mental anguish, the mental anguish of looking at a dead man he knew. And everywhere he walked, literally dead weight tied to him. Or he would die as the disease of that dead man entered his own body through maggots and other infections and they would destroy his own body. He died one of two ways. That's what Paul refers to as your old sinful nature. It's that dead man. That knows nothing better than to infect you and ultimately kill you. Paul's question matters as much as his answer. Why? Because he doesn't say, what will set me free? If Paul said, what will set me free? Do you know what? We'd have classes. Like straight up, we'd have a class. Want to be free from sin? Come to the seminar. Right? Come show up to the seminar. We'll give you five steps. Once you work through the five steps, boom, you're free from sin. It's all good. There is nothing like that. I cannot give that to you today. I've given you a prayer. I've given you a practice. Yes, but you can pray that prayer all day long till you're blue in the face. You can memorize every scripture in the book and still be enslaved to your old sinful nature. Unless you realize 
That there is a victor who lives within you now because you belong to Christ who is also outside of you. The victor is both within and without. When did he become victorious then? If he is a victor, and if this is a civil war, and if somebody's going to save the day, who's going to save the day? How did he save the day? How is he saving the day today? His name is Jesus Christ. Jesus came, sinless one, died on the cross, and on the cross he had the ultimate POW experience because he didn't have just one of your sins attached to himself, but he had all of your sins attached to himself. He didn't just have what you've done and placed through your mind like a broken record that you can't get rid of, but for every human being who ever walked on the face of the planet, imagine the guilt you've experienced and you've experienced and you've experienced multiply that by billions of people put it on christ on the cross and on the cross he died for all of those sins every one of them every single one of them you talk about nose to nose and knee to knee and toes to toes everything you've ever done hanging there on the cross on his shoulders on his back he died under the crushing weight of all of our sin once and for all scripture says amen church once and for all he died for our sins but listen to this As glorious as that is, and as awesome as that is, if it ended there, Paul said, we are of all people most to be pitied. Oh, that would be horrible. That the weight of our sin crushed him. And that was it. Friday, followed by Saturday, The disciples fled. Mary cried. Joseph of Arimathea stepped up and Nicodemus buried his body. Judas is dead. Peter denied. Hope seems lost until early on Sunday morning because early on Sunday morning your sin was not powerful enough to keep him in the tomb amen it wasn't it wasn't powerful enough to keep him in the tomb and if your sin was not powerful enough to keep him in the tomb then is your sin powerful enough to keep him down in your life today no No, if your sin could not keep him down, then your sin cannot keep him down today. The solution is not a list. It is not anything you can do. It is everything he has done, everything he is doing and will do in you through his death, through his resurrection, he lives in you. Wow. There is no other religion. With a Christ like this, a God who would give his son and a son who would die in your place. There isn't. There isn't. Wow. Wow. So Paul doesn't say, what will set me free? Oh my goodness, we have have an Old Testament law. Unsuccessful in its attempt. But who? Who? 
And he ends with this exclamatory, I thank my God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He alone cuts the chains, the hymn writer says, and sets the captives free. Amen? He alone. You say, Jerry, what do I do? What do I do? All right, so let me, let me address two kinds of people in the room today. All right, so there's some of you who do not yet know Christ. And your sin is killing you. It's killing you. It will never do anything but kill you. When the service is over, I'll be around. Alamaka will be around. Anybody at the next steps desk? You can, like Tim, give your life to Christ. And be born again and made new. And walk into the waters of baptism and be buried with him in the likeness of his death. Raised to live an entirely new life. Amen, church? You can do that. And then there are those of you, and here's what troubles you. The worst sins you've ever committed in your life, you committed after you came to Christ. Like you look at your life, you came to Christ young and your mind got polluted and you walk down paths and some of you are right now walking down paths of sin and destruction. And you feel like God has abandoned you and you wonder, is there any hope? There is. The same Christ who saved you lives in you will give you victory over your sin problem. You say, Jerry, what do I do? We'll give you a very practical thing to do. You cannot do this alone. We have life groups that meet all over this county and in a couple other counties around this very thing. You cannot do this alone. Some of you need to begin with, I am a flesh. I do not understand who will set me free. I thank my God through Jesus Christ, my Lord. If you need help, that's why we're here. Let me pray for you. Lord, your word is good, and we are not. We are a flesh sold under sin, born this way. Christ, you died to redeem us from sin and from ourselves, our sin nature. We cannot be freed by methods. We are freed by your blood, Jesus. We are freed because though our sin, as weighty as it was on you, did not hold you back from the tomb, 
you are alive and you live in us. Be glorified in us, Jesus. Be glorified in and through us. Lord, those who need forgiveness, may they run to you. Those who are flying solo, may they reach out. We love you, Jesus. Pray this in your great name. Amen.